Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we are going to talk about one of the great American pastimes, and that would be board games. Across from me is the 2014 Clay County Checkers champion, <laughs> the mayor of Game Town. Shannon Deaton. Shannon, how are you? Red for the win. All day long. Just red. Just just red colors, man. That's all you can play. I mean, you know, checkers and chess, the same thing practically, right? Oh, exactly yeah. not the same. Yeah. <laughs> exactly not the same. We are not going to uh, go into details about certain events right now. You know, possibly if by chance, maybe, just maybe you have some extra time around the house. Uh, perhaps you are spending more time at usual at home for whatever the reason <laughs> may be. Board games are an excellent form of entertainment. So, Shannon, do you like board games? I do, man. They're a national pastime, just like baseball, but something you can do indoors. Tons of fun. Oh, absolutely. We we played some games a couple nights ago, actually. Played uh, played Pictionary. Oh, yeah. And categories. Pretty fun. Yeah. We thought this might be an appropriate episode at this point in time, and so we put together a Survey Monkey poll and asked our viewers what their favorite board game were and the results are in so i give you the top 20 board games as voted on by slapdash listeners number 20 shoots and ladders shannon it is amazing how much one can learn by just doing a little bit of research yeah google is a pretty intelligent <laughs> force <laughs> dr google's pretty pretty bright yeah the game shoots and ladders was based on a game called snakes and ladders from second century india and it was so funny when i was doing the research on this because this got dark quick did it <laughs> yeah i mean just boom the game was created to teach children the concept of karma and making good decisions. Now, this is the one okay. you know, back in back in second century some here. Moral backing to it a that, little bit. That's right. All right. So the five ladders led to positive attributes like faith, generosity, reliability, and so forth. And the twelve snakes represented. Okay, you ready? Yep. Disobedience, debt, drunkenness, greed, <laughs> lust, lying, murder, pride, rage, theft, vanity, and vulgarity. <laughs> okay. Brought to you by Milton Bradley. Oh man. <laughs> Was this a children's game? They India? said it was. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, they said it was to uh, basically you know teach uh, kids about karma and morals and you know if you do bad things, bad things may you know befall you those type of things. But yeah. but Milton Bradley brought the game to America in 1943, changed the name to Shoots and Ladders, and drastically edited the content to a much more subtle and positive. Uh, type of uh, decisions and then also negative like you know consequences and decisions as well so instead of like those really really hardcore things we mentioned earlier uh, the the positive things in shoots and ladders uh, in 1943 would be like mowing the lawn or saving a cat from a tree <laughs> drinking your milk drinking that's right <laughs> taking your vitamins that's right. uh, the bad deeds Included like eating too many cookies, uh, drawing graffiti, and not studying. Oh, no. So a big difference between what we think of as shoots and ladders as opposed to snakes and ladders. Yeah. So, so Western morals are a little bit softer. Uh, they, they sure do appear to be. So uh, I had no <laughs> idea. Your lawn children. That's right. right. I had no idea of the uh, background of shoots and ladders, but uh, it came in at number 20. So I know what a snake is. What's a shoot? Do, do you know? <laughs> not, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> okay. it's something like you go through or up yeah, or you know, like a too. laundry chute. Okay. I'm assuming that's what the, you know, like you go down or I guess could maybe climb up or whatever. Uh, gotcha. I don't know necessarily what I'm talking about, but in my mind, that's what I'm <laughs> going to go with. That's, that's what a chute is. Uh, it works for me. Number 19, Candyland. 
Jason Candyland uh, was invented by Milton Bradley, and it was first released in 1949. Now, the game was invented in a polio wing of a hospital. So I found that kind of interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's uh, historically been a children's game, and you can find this in Walmart, you know, and, oh, yeah. and just, just anywhere where these sort of toys are sold. It's uh, been popular for a very long time. But in terms of the background, while recovering in a San Diego hospital, uh, a retired teacher named Eleanor Abbott decided to create a board game as a distraction for patients. Uh, the game did not require any reading because players advanced across the spaces using a color system. Abbott submitted the board game to Milton Bradley with the layout written on a piece of butcher paper and published the game, as we said, in 1949. So have you ever played Candyland? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Well, especially when my daughters were younger. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we didn't play it a lot, but but I have played it. It's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty fun. Neat. It's straightforward. You yeah. know, uh, younger kids definitely can play. It doesn't require any reading. You just kind of navigate per the colors and, and make your way around the Candyland. Number 18, Mousetrap. Mousetrap first came out in 1963 and was manufactured by a company called Ideal, but I believe is now owned by uh, Hasbro and, and you know, Parker Brothers and kind of that whole company, those two that sort of you know merged. Yeah, Hasbro owns everything. Hasbro now. owns everything pretty <laughs> yeah. much, yeah. Basically, this is a game for young kids where they interact with some trapping devices in order to catch a mouse, and that's pretty much it. It's pretty straightforward. That's it's, the story. Right? It's sort of a yeah, sort of a uh, I guess a three dimensional type of you know, apparatus where you have the, the board, but then you have all these other pieces that are coming off of it, and you know a ball goes down a ramp, then it comes into oh, something yeah. else, and then it releases Launches the trap. a guy into a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your mouse trap's been around for for quite a while. Uh, I think I may have played this maybe once or twice growing you know growing up. I kind of remember that. It's not one that I necessarily think of as like, you know, classic board game necessarily. Right. But it did come in at number 18. So I always wanted to play Mousetrap. I've never played the game, but I always saw the commercials and I thought that looks like <laughs> something I would be interested in. Not really to play the game, but just because it's, it's kind of set up like one of those Rune Goldberg machines. Have you ever heard oh, yeah. of the, those yep, where, yep. you know, you have like the dominoes and they knock down the ball that rolls down the ramp yep. and the ramp. It burnt, the candle burns candle this. Burns. Yeah. 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 That's kind of what this puts me in mind of and uh, just sounded really cool. Number 17, Guess Who? Jason Guess Who is a two-player character-guessing game created by Aura and Theo Coster, first published by Milton Bradley in 1979. And I remember growing up playing this game quite a bit. Both players have a board, and you select a card, which represents the person who you are. Right. And they could be a man, a woman, a person with a lot of hair, a bald person, red hair, black hair, mustache, etc. Everyone looks a little bit different, and the object of the game is just to guess who your opponent has, right? And you ask them questions. That's why it's called Guess Who. And you would think that's fairly straightforward, but there is a strategy to this game. And uh, an interesting fact is that a YouTuber named Mark Rober discovered a method for winning at Guess Who 96% of the time. And the strategy goes like this. So every character attribute in the game has exactly five characters that have that attribute. And I know I just say character and attribute like <laughs> okay, I got three times each, but... Uh, so, for example, there are five characters with black hair. 
in the game, five characters with glasses in the game, and five characters with big noses in the game. And they're the only ones with that particular attribute. And that's true for every other attribute you could point out. So you out. can quickly whittle it down. You can right, whittle it yeah. down, yeah. So the strategy is to try to you know get the biggest bang for your buck for each of the questions that you ask. Now, in a typical game, you would say things like, does your character have black hair? And if they say no, then you will flip down everybody on your board who has black hair because that couldn't be their character, right? right? But there's a little bit of a sneaky way to get more questions into your one question that is technically okay as far as the rules go. So the strategy is to essentially ask a question such as the following. Does your character have red hair, glasses, or a big nose? So notice when you do that, you're going to be eliminating a substantial part of the board because if they say, oh, my character has glasses, then you automatically flip down all the big nose people and all the red haired people. So you're going to be knocking down like 10 tiles in, in that one swing. Yeah, you can find this on YouTube. You can see uh, the YouTuber again, Mark Rober, sitting down and he's going through, you know, working this out. I think he actually sits down with like a college professor of statistics. And it's really neat how he kind of works it all out and demonstrates uh, through math that, yeah, 96% of the time, this is going to lead to a win. And guess who? So, Jason, next time you sit down with your daughters and you really just want to you know, I want to show them, who's show boss. them who the boss is, <laughs> this is the strategy, sir. Number 16, Stratego. Stratego is a military strategy game that was first introduced in the U.S. in 1961 by Milton Bradley. But the game first appeared in Europe in the 1940s. I haven't actually played this game in years. I I think I did play it one time in high school. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, To me, it was sort of similar to another game we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. I mean, I've definitely heard of this game. Uh, It comes in at number 16. Have you ever played Stratego? I've not. So have you not? Is this going to be one of the games that we've not played? very much uh, together so let's let's hypothesize so it's military based military based okay and any idea of the objective in this game i think it's just to like you'll conquer an area or a territory or or an or an an opponent and the opponent's like a foreign okay you know uh country or entity or another army type thing yeah all right cool enough man we we may have to go play that game after this episode's over find out what we've been missing out on (laughs) okay number 15 hungry hungry hippos so, Hungry Hungry Hippos is a tabletop game made for two to four players, published by Milton Bradley in 1978. The game board is surrounded by four colorful mechanical hippos, and the object of the game is to mash a lever quickly enough to cause your hippo to eat more marbles off the table than anyone else's hippo. Uh, something interesting about this, Jason, is that there might actually be a movie Coming out uh, regarding Hungry Hungry Hippos. Uh, In 2012, Hasbro, the company that bought Milton Bradley, announced that they had entered into an agreement to produce feature film versions of Monopoly and Hungry Hungry Hippos. So can you hypothesize what the plot of that movie might be about, how it might tie into this game of Hungry Hungry Hippos? I have no idea, but I remember uh, getting Hungry Hungry Hippos as a Christmas present. Uh, when I was in elementary school, Were you excited, and I remember like you know opening it up because I, mean, I saw the commercial right, so I knew hungry, immediately. Hungry oh yeah, hungry, so I knew as soon hippos. as I saw it, I knew what it was. So you know, we opened it up, <clears throat> we played for like maybe ten seconds, and after ten seconds, I remember like you know, looking up at everyone in the room, thinking, "Well, we've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> this is all. This is it has to be We're one of the coolest presents we were yeah, made to do. That's exactly right. And then it was just you know it was like dead silence, and it was 
smash, 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 smash. <laughs> you know, for like hours on end. I was a pretty big hungry, hungry uh, hippo fan. Were you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, on the subject of the film, here, here's what it's about. And this, I have this no kind idea. of shocked me. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, the film would likely involve a giant animal on a rampage scenario. And, of course, that animal would be a hippo. Okay. <laughs> hey, whatever floats your boat, man. It sounds great, man. <laughs> Number 14. Pictionary. Pictionary is a charades-inspired word-guessing game where one player tries to help his or her teammates guess a specific word while drawing the picture. Uh, the game first came out in 1985, but was purchased in 1994 by Hasbro. And Shannon, I'm actually surprised Pictionary finished number 14. I thought it may thought be it a little, be might be a little bit higher. You know, there's actually you know game shows that's on uh, uh, TV oh, yeah. that's based on after Pictionary. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. And there's uh, and there's uh, different versions of, of Pictionary as well. This would easily be one of my top five. Uh, it's really good. Spe- it's not great like with two people. You really can't do anything like that. Right. But if you have, mm-hmm. you know, four to it's eight a people, game. It can yeah, be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I highly recommend Pictionary. I, I really enjoy that. Are you good at drawing with Pictionary? I would say I'm dead average. Yeah. Okay. If, if you drew like the old, you know, typical bell curve, I think I'd be like sort of like in the middle. Right there you in know? the middle. Yep. Number 13, Jenga. So Jenga is currently marketed by Hasbro, but was invented by Leslie Scott, the co-founder of Oxford Games Limited and first sold in 1983. The name Jenga is derived from the Swahili word Kujinga, which means to build. And the game is played by players who alternate pulling a block from a stack of blocks and then placing the pull block on top of the stack. And I'm notoriously bad at this game. I don't know what it is. I just, <laughs> I, I'm terrible. I, I don't really have like nervous, shaky hands. So that's not it. I can't pinpoint my flaw. Th- this is something I want to get better at, Jason. <laughs> I, you know, I, I want to practice this and I want to be a, a better Jenga player, you know, because someday <laughs> that might matter. But uh, for now, I mean, I don't know why, but whenever I go in to, to pull a brick out, it just, it just topples over. So what, you know, what's your batting average on Jenga? Uh, not, not very good. You know, we've had Jenga at the house for probably three or four years and, and we really haven't played it a ton in the last couple. So I noticed this year, I, uh, you know, I was out shopping or doing something and then I, I came home one day and th- this past Christmas and my wife was putting up the Christmas tree and, you know, she was making it all, you know, very beautiful. And I got to noticing there were some, some new, unique looking Christmas ornaments that, that were hanging off the tree. Uh-oh. So I go over and so she had taken the wooden blocks and had like drawn like uh, little reindeer faces oh, and then cool. and had uh, put our names on them and kind of decorated them and, and sort of hung them on the tree. So uh, yeah, Jenga ha- has a connection to Christmas for us, for, I guess forevermore. That's pretty cool. So then you immediately pulled all those down, set up a Jenga game and you guys got rolling. Right? Yeah, because it's crazy because like <laughs> I see that and I'm like, you know, well now I want to play Jenga. I mean, I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not really had a uh, craving to play Jenga in two years but you know, now that I know that I can't, oh, I got to play Jenga. Play right. yeah. yeah. Now, here's something I didn't know. Jenga blocks are not identical. Really? Yeah, I thought they were all sort of the same dimensions, same weight, same length, etc. But each one has a slightly different weight and size, and this is intentional so that no two games are the same. So even if you set the game up the same way every time and you the two of you two oh, players gotcha. made the exact same plays each time, the game's going to come out a little bit differently each time because the dimensions of the pieces are a little bit different. Therefore, the physics are different a results bit different. in there. Yeah, huh, that's pretty cool. Kind of neat. Number 12, Twister. 
Twister is not so much a board game as it is a floor game. It debuted in 1966 and is a game of physical skill where you spin a dial and whatever color the spinner lands on, you have to place either your right or left hand or right or left foot on a particular colored circle and keep it there until your next turn. Uh, Twister is pretty popular, although I really never actually see anyone really playing it. <laughs> I don't know about you, but just personally, I really don't. In real life? No. No. Yeah. Um, now, when I was a kid, I, I played it a couple of times, and that was the only time I ever saw anyone play it. Me and a few cousins right. uh, got the game, and uh, I think we got it like secondhand. So, and this is the, the craziest thing. There, <laughs> there was no instruction book that we received, and there was no spinner. So, we only knew what we saw on the commercials, and on the commercials, we saw the mat, which had all the right. different colored circles. So, we got on the mat, and we would just call out things. Uh, I would be on the mat, and I'd say, Left foot yellow. <laughs> and everybody would would do left foot yellow. You know, right hand red. We do right hand red. We just went with it. And and the neat thing about that is I didn't know that it was just restricted to hands and feet. So I'd call out <laughs> forehead blue and there we would go. There you go. <laughs> the game was probably more fun because of that though, looking back. You had a lot more leeway. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. House rules. Yeah. Uh one last interesting note though, Twister is in the National Toy Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. Very Pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Number 11, Sorry. Sorry was a game invented by William Henry Story. Uh, He filed for a patent for the game in England, where it was registered as a trademark in May of 1929. It was later sold in the United Kingdom by Waddington's, the British games manufacturer who sold it from 1934. Jason Sorry is a board game that is based on the ancient Indian cross and circle game Parcheesi. Have you played Sorry? I don't think I have. No. No, I, not that I can remember. I played a version of it. There's a lot of um, you know offsets of this, as there are with a lot of these board games. Oh yeah, you know, there's different manufacturers that that pick them up. But the premise is that players move their three or four pieces around the board, attempting to get all of their pieces home before any other player. And you may be wondering, well, why is it called sorry? You know, and there's right. an exclamation point right there at the end. If you land on a square where another player's piece is sitting, you can bump their piece back to home and say sorry <laughs> in the most in sincere way possible <laughs> wait is, is this the game where you there's like a bubble in the middle and you press it down and, and i think that's called trouble, trouble. I, that was one of the ones that's i was right. thinking about yeah but okay it's got similar, yeah. no similar you're rules. right yeah. yeah okay so interesting game and one that you can kind of be a little bit mean-spirited about right i can just see moving around the board landing on jason creek more space and just saying you know what sorry and just sending you back home number 10 Risk. Risk is a military strategy game of conquest. The board is basically a flat map of the earth. Uh, which is divided into certain areas or territories. Risk first came out in 1957 and is owned by Hasbro. This is one of those games that could just go on for hours. It's sort of like Monopoly. I mean, you have to be you have to be dedicated and yeah. willing to be committed. Take some time when you yeah. If, if you're going to play it, that's right. If, if you're going to play Risk the way it's supposed to be played, you're going to be there for a few hours. And I remember being in middle school and high school, and my friends and I we we tried to play this several times, and we probably weren't patient enough because you know inevitably it always ended with us 
stopping about an hour end. Yeah. And then we would go walk a couple of miles to the store, get a couple of VHS tapes and a couple of pizzas. <laughs> and then we would come back and we would watch that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh, pick the game back up. We probably would not pick the game back up. But I, I do remember attempting this game several times. Right. But probably, again, probably just didn't have the patience enough to play Risk. It's fun. I, I played it once with my wife and brother-in-law. We made it through a whole game. I think it took like three, three and a half hours. I'm sure. Because it's just one of those games, again, of statistics and probabilities. And it just takes a while for you to conquer the entire world just by nature of, well, time. You know, because right. when you land on a space, you roll the dice, you try to conquer that place. Maybe you do it, maybe you don't. And then it just kind of goes on and on and on. So fun game, neat concept. Don't play it if you have five minutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Number nine. Operation. Operation is a battery-operated game of physical skill that tests players' hand-eye coordination and fine motor skills. It was invented by John Spinello, a University of Illinois industrial design student, in 1964. The rights for the game were sold to Marvin Glass at a very small amount of money. Can you guess how much this multi-million dollar game sold for back in the day? Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> I have no idea. Five hundred dollars. Five hundred. That's all he got. In addition to the five hundred, he also received a promise that he would be given a job whenever he graduated. And guess what? He didn't get the job. You're so, kidding. $500 and a broken promise, and that's what Operation sold for back when it was invented. What do you uh, think about that? Oh, my gosh. That makes me like never want to play Operation again now after knowing that. Yeah. Well, well, here's something that might lift your spirits back up a little bit. In 2014, word circulated that Spinello, the inventor of the game, was in need of an actual surgery himself. It was an oral surgery that would cost $25,000. And because he had sold the rights to Operation for just $500, he had not received any royalties whatsoever from sales of the game. Fans of the game rallied and helped Spinello get the surgery he needed, and Hasbro also chipped in some money by purchasing the original prototype of the Operation game from Spinello. Now that's nice, and that's uplifting, and I think the fans did a cool thing. Sure. I think Hasbro's kind of a bum in yeah. this situation. Uh, yeah, that's that's dirty, man, to pay someone, I mean, $500 for a game that everyone, you know, at some point in your life has played that, right. you know, and that's, that's an extremely popular game. I, I think we actually had that at my house right now. That was oh, really yeah. popular, you know, when my daughters were uh, were small. And, and again, there's also different variations of that game yep. as well. So uh, I think that, that gentleman needs more money. I think so. And, you know, in 2014, they had a chance to make it right. They could have just said, oh, you know, we'll take a, a very small, less than 1% chunk of these millions of dollars that we've made over the years and just fund the surgery. But instead, it was like, oh, we know that you have the original prototype of the game. Give us that and we'll, we'll help you out a little bit. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> pretty bad. Cool game, though. Yeah. Number eight, checkers and chess. Shannon, in some way, checkers and chess, they're very similar, but they, they also cannot be more different. That's right. <laughs> they both have a checkerboard. Right? They Basically that, the same board, right? Yeah. I mean, and they, they come together. You know, if you buy sort of the, the cheap version, you know, the, uh, both pieces from both games come with the same board, sure. you know, that, that you play there. I'm pretty good at checkers. I've never played chess very much. I, I'm, I'm not 
maybe choose to uh, learn to do that over the next few weeks, maybe, <laughs> if, if, if I have some more time here available. But really, checkers and chess, you know, really no you know, introduction or background is, is needed on that. Uh, I know in England, they call checkers, it's either droughts or draughts is, is how they refer to that. And, of course, uh, both of these games uh, can be traced all the way back to, the, to uh, 6th century India. That is so cool. Yeah, I just and, love that. And to me, I think checkers may be like America's game. Yeah. I mean, if, when you're talking about board games, just overall. I mean, when you go to a Cracker Barrel, you can play. And, and you can play. Che- yeah, and you can play checkers can. on a wooden barrel while you're rocking on a, in a rocking chair outside, <laughs> getting ready to be served biscuits. It doesn't get any better than that. Not any better. Here's something I didn't know uh, until I was in middle school. I always thought of chess as like a strategic smart man's game right? or smart woman's game. Uh, but checkers, I always thought, well, that's just for fun. Like you can't really be good at checkers necessarily. Right. I always thought it was like random probabilities just like other games. But apparently there, there's strategy there and you can strategically win. And uh, there's you know certain strategies you can apply to always win. And I had a teacher uh, who would always sponsor a checker tournament and she would just get in there and she would destroy. And I don't know how she did it. I mean, she never moved her back row. I think that's part of the strategy. You can't get to the back row. Uh, you can't get a king. And therefore, how are you going to win checkers? Right. Yeah. You know? I have to get to the back. That's right. Whenever I play my buddies, as soon as they can move that back row out, they were rolling. You know, and that's right. what I did, too. I just thought, oh, let's let's get these pieces on the board. I've yeah. got all this, you know. But she never did. She never moved the back row. And she just dominated, uh, you know, these eighth grade boys and girls who would try to rise wow. to the challenge. I remember being in elementary school uh, probably young elementary school and my next my my the, the next door neighbor of my grandparents she uh, was from England and uh, she was you know she played chess and I think she taught her sons how to play chess which which were actually my cousins so they were you know older than me but I would walk over and I remember them on a couple of different evenings it's funny how you just there's certain memories you just can, oh, yeah. can recall just sticks out yeah I remember one summer evening walking in their yard and they were just sitting there literally in the front yard playing chess and I thought hmm. that's really cool because I have no idea what you're doing, but but I'm really interested. It looks yeah. cool. So this this may be the the uh, season that Jason learns chess. All right, let's do it. Number seven, Connect Four. Connect Four is a two player game in which players choose a color and then take turns dropping colored discs into a board until they connect four pieces of the same color. The game was first sold by Milton Bradley in 1974, and as with some other games of this type, Connect Four is a game where the player who goes first can win 100% of the time if the perfect moves are made with each drop of a disc. Hmm. So kind of interesting. I don't know what that strategy is. And uh, I will tell you that I've played this game a few times on like the giant arcade machines. Oh, yeah. Have you seen yeah. this? Yeah. You go Those into are an cool. arcade. They have a giant board and it's lights instead of discs. But, you know, the thing's probably like 10 feet high and, you know, seven or eight feet wide. And you can play an opponent. You've got this big button you mash that kind of drops the the colored lights. But I fell at that so quickly. I don't know what it is. It's like tic-tac-toe. I know tic-tac-toe is sort of in the same vein right. as Connect 4. But, yeah, this is a game that I'm I'm pretty bad at. Have you ever played Connect Four? Yeah, we are pretty big Connect Four players. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, my whole family likes that. And an interesting story about Connect Four is uh, uh, there is an NBA point guard that used to play at the University of Kentucky named Rajon Rondo. Oh, sure. Yeah. And he was an NBA All Star. He's won NBA championships. And Rondo sort of considers himself a Connect Four 
kind of guru. Ex, yeah, guru expert. Uh, Is he one of these one hundred percent win kind of guys. Yeah, and he's sort of like basically will kind of throw down the gauntlet to anybody who wants a piece. Come get come get some you okay. know with him for you know for Connect Four. So uh, I would love to see him and, and his strategy and however he plays Connect Four. But I really like the game. I think it, it's, it. I think it's because it's the speed of it. It goes really quickly. Uh, I, I enjoy it. Dropping tokens is fun too. Clink, clink, That's clink. pretty cool. You know, right? Just, yeah, it's fun. Number six, life. Shannon, I take the game of life probably a little too seriously for a grown man. Do you really? <laughs> I do. We actually play life several times a year uh, with my daughters, and I find myself being very direct <laughs> in regard to life decisions like buying a house, buying a car, getting married. You know, I remember like we're playing, and one of my daughters would be like, uh, well, I'm out of money. And then I would be like, well, that wouldn't have occurred if you'd have done this. You know, <laughs> if, if you'd have went on this track, this wouldn't have, you know. Yeah, play smarter. So, right. so yeah. I'm like I'm literally trying to teach them about life while playing life, sure. and, uh, but I really get into to that game. And of course, some of the newer versions, I think, uh, you know, maybe have like a debit card, sort yeah. of like Monopoly has. They kind of updated it a bit. Yeah, but uh, I really, really enjoy life. It would be one of my top five. Uh, the game was actually uh, created in in 1860. Uh, the game as we know it today was rebranded in 1960 by Milton Bradley, and it is in the National Toy Hall of Fame. Number five, Trivial Pursuit. Trivial Pursuit is a board game from Canada in which winning is determined by players' ability to answer general knowledge and popular culture questions. The game was originally licensed to Sechow and Ryder in 1982 and became part of Parker Brothers, now Hasbro, in 1988. Since the game's release, dozens of themed editions have been released, including Star Wars, Saturday Night Live, Lord of the Rings, All-Star Sports, you (laughs) name it. There's a brand of Trivial Pursuit out there for it. I enjoyed these kind of games growing up. I really like trivia games. I'm, you know, I'm I'm not super good at them, but I'm good enough that it it kind of keeps my spirits alive a little. Right. Bit, you yeah. Know? Uh, especially if I can get the right category, I feel like you know I can kind of shine in those games at times. But have you ever played Trivial Pursuit or any of these trivia based? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, you know, some of our friends, uh, you know, a, a few years ago they would come over and we would play uh, quite often. I mean, maybe two or three times a month actually okay. and, and, and those games can also go on for for an hour or so because you know there's so many questions and of course you have to land on the certain you know category and in order to get the question to get the piece of the pie you know mm-hmm. so it wasn't just you have to get so many questions you have to get so so many specific questions right on certain you know blocks or whatever to get the you know the pieces of the pie but I, i'm a pretty big trivial pursuit guy funny story about trivial pursuit uh, i actually played this game maybe for the first time at my brother-in-law's bachelor party now, <laughs> <laughs> now let that sink in for just like a moment. Wild and crazy we guys. Wild and crazy. You know, we were we were eating grippos. We were drinking big red, and we were uh, throwing down on some trivial. And then pursuit. trivial pursuit came out. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a That's minute. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that that was about as wild and crazy as we got. But uh, a funny thing that happened there. There were probably about twelve of us guys there, and we were drawing names from a hat to figure out who was going to be on teams. Right. right. So it was going to be like six on six, and the, the cards just kind of fell where they fell. But it ended up that every one of my buddies who were currently going to college were on the same team, and everyone who was not going to college uh, was was on the other team. So we had tons of fun. That's great <laughs> with that. That's just, awesome. Just story. randomly yeah. happened, you know. And needless to say, we destroyed them. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Scrabble. 
Scrabble is a word game in which players get points based on the words they can arrange with individual tiles, each with a letter and a point value on them. In Scrabble, you can play off other people's words, sort of like a, a, a crossword puzzle. Scrabble came out in 1938 and is a game of spelling and vocabulary skill. Like a lot of games, Scrabble is also a Hasbro product. So, Shannon, are you a big Scrabble person? I like Scrabble. My wife and I used to play it a lot whenever our first daughter was born because it oh, was yeah. one of those games you could kind of play quietly and, you know, she could be sitting next oh, to you yeah. asleep. And, uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of fun with that, actually. We enjoyed Scrabble quite a bit, unless you would get stuck with, like, a, a P, the X piece or one of those that's hard <laughs> to put yeah. into a word. But I'll tell you one thing about the, that game. There's a lot of two-letter words you wouldn't expect. But when you look them up in the dictionary, they'll get you a lot of points. So kind of fun. Number three, Battleship. Battleship is a two-player board or paper game that involves destroying your opponent's various watercrafts using strategic guesswork. The first commercial version of the game was published in 1931 in the United States by the Starex Company. In 1967, Milton Bradley released the iconic version of the game that we know today. They included the plastic board and the pegs. And originally, Battleship was played using pencil and paper, and it was thought to have first been played by Russian officials before World War One. Did you ever play Battleship growing up? Yeah, I, I played that several times growing up, and, and it actually shocks me that it's number, I guess, what, three? Number three, yep. Because uh, I, I really don't like think, when I think board games, I don't think battle, <laughs> you know, Battleship, yeah. but I guess maybe you do. I mean, you know, so that kind of shocks me it's that high, but it's a pretty cool game. I mean, I like the sort of the concept of it, you know, and sort of the layout. It, it's just different enough right. to sort of keep your attention, so it's, it's pretty cool. I remember the commercial. Someone oh, yeah. would shout out like, B4, and the person would say, oh no, you sank my battle. Battleship. Is it sunk or sank? Sure. You, you suck in my battleship. You suck in my battleship. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be one of those. Number two, Clue. Having Clue at number two shocks me a little. I thought for sure it would be in the top ten, but number two shocks me just, just a little bit. Clue is a murder mystery game where players try to determine which character is the murderer, what room the murder occurred in, and the weapon used in the murder. Clue debuted in 1949 and was owned by Parker Brothers and then obviously eventually Hasbro. The game was first created by Anthony and Elva Pratt, a British couple in the 1940s, as they were holed up in their home during the German air raids. Oh, wow. So as bombs yeah. are being dropped above, they, they think, hey, I have an idea. It's time for a game. Let's create right. a murder game. That's exactly right. And that, <laughs> that's what they did. And a few years later, they, they sold the rights to it, and that became Clue. Okay, pretty cool. So, so who did it, Jason? Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard in with, the library. In the library with the candlestick. I'll with say the candlestick. Yeah, yeah that, that's usually what I would say as well. <laughs> Colonel Mustard just sounds shady. That's right. Me. Yeah. Number one, Monopoly. Jason, it's really no surprise to me that Monopoly is the number one game uh, on this list. Uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the history, and then we'll talk a little bit about the heartbreak that is the game of Monopoly. <laughs> the history of Monopoly can be traced back to 1903, when American anti-monopolist Lizzie McGee created a game in which she hoped would explain the single tax theory of Henry George. 
It was intended as an educational tool to illustrate the negative aspects of concentrating land in private monopolies. That's what I always tell my family every time we play that. Yeah, we. I basically <laughs> it's, our, it's in the rule book. I, right? I, I basically read that before we start handing out the pieces. Before one of them says, "I want to be the dog" or whatever, you know. <laughs> you say, but, "But can you tell me about single tax theory?" <laughs> <laughs> Only then can you be the little terrier. That's right. McGee took out a patent in 1904, and her game, which was titled "The Landlord's Game," was self-published beginning in 19. 06, but that's not the end of the story. Another person named Charles Darrow later played the game and adapted a version that he called Monopoly, and that's what we've come to know today. Uh, Darrow first attempted to sell the Monopoly game to Parker Brothers, but was initially rejected for, quote, 52 fundamental errors <laughs> that included the <laughs> game's <that> length. <laughs> yeah, the errors included the game's length, the theme, and complexity. And I can believe that. Just looking at the game and having grown up with it all these years and had so many heartbreaking experiences with Monopoly, all those things come to mind. The length of the game. Have you ever finished many Monopoly oh, games? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, I've played many, but as far as finishing it, probably maybe a fourth of, of all the ones I've actually started. I mean, I remember like some marathons where yeah. they would go on for like, I mean, three or four hours. Right. I mean, you know, like one, like lunch would become dinner yeah. in the middle of, of, of Monopoly. So, yeah, it's, it's an extremely long game. And we would always have house rules, too, where, you know, toward the end of the game, when it started to get kind of long winded and we're like, man, we're, we're probably two hours from finishing this. But look at all these hotels. We can't stop. We got to do something. So we would just start making up rules. You know, you give me those two hotels. I'll give you this railroad, you know, things that probably aren't legal in the right. actual monopoly. Just like game. the real world. <laughs> just like <laughs> the real world. Right. We would just start trading property and, you know, rolling dice to, to get extra hotels and stuff. Just, just crazy stuff. But, you know. You know, in terms of the history, I, I agree. You know, I think the length of the game was probably a red flag for any company. The theme, property building, buying, all that sort of thing, just kind of odd for a, a children's board game. And the complexity, there's there's a lot of minutia uh, around oh, Monopoly. Yeah. It's just kind of a strange thing. You know, originally they didn't want anything to do with it, but uh, Charles Darrow did have some success selling the game on his own in Philadelphia. And Parker Brothers later reconsidered and they said, you know, this is selling well. I think we should go ahead and pick it up. And it was first manufactured and sold in 1935 by Parker Brothers in the U.S. and Waddington's in the U.K. And here's a fun fact for you, Jason. On the subject of Monopoly games that last a really long time, on record, the longest game of Monopoly ever played lasted 70 straight days. 70 days? Yeah. How's that hit you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I don't think that would be me. I don't <laughs> consider that I was uh, uh, you know, running away from risk after like 10 minutes. Right. I don't think. I don't think I'm up for a 70-day-long marathon uh, Monopoly game. Do you think they went to work? Do you think they <laughs> took restroom breaks? They had to. <laughs> they went to sleep. They had to do something. Although now is the time. They drink some Big Red. Now. <laughs> play some Trivial Pursuit on the side. <laughs> the Grippos came out. Everything was wild. It was good. It was good stuff. So that's our list. Do any of those surprise you? Not necessarily. Maybe some of the order. One game that is not on the list that I like. Have you ever played a game called Go? I've heard of it. I've not played. It's uh, it's it's sort of it. It can be like a complex game, but there's different versions of it. You can kind of pick which version, and there's even different boards. Like I have uh, one at home where I think it's like a maybe a 32 grid board, or you could flip it over to like a 16 grid or an 8 grid or whatever it is. But basically, you just have like these little round pieces that you move around, and they're they're either black or or white, and then you basically just try to uh, entrap your opponent or kind of mark off territory. 
to where you sort of block it off, and then okay. and then you get points for it. I always really liked that game. I thought that was kind of cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, honorable my, mention. My wife bought me a copy of that game not long after we got married, and so we, we played it, you know, quite a bit. And, and some of our friends would come over. So if Trivial Pursuit, if we weren't like emotionally prepared enough to play that game, we would we would get go out <laughs> get and play that. Some yeah, Ready to roll. so it's pr- pretty cool game. All right, cool. So, Jason, anything else to say about uh, any of these classic board games? I don't think so. I think that's a pretty good list, and you know, I've played uh, of those twenty. I've probably played at least seventeen or eighteen of those, and I think probably most of America has. So, uh, I guess our listeners have spoken, and there's the rank order. There's the top twenty. Thanks to our listeners who are following the podcast each week. You can catch us on social media: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at Slapdash Pod. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care, everyone.